Well, today we're going to see Second uh, John. Uh, first, I want to say uh, thank you, Metro Bible Church. Every time I standing here um, and I am writing a manuscript um, to preach, the first words that I want to write is uh, two pages of thank you notes. Um, but we need to go to the Word. So I just want to say uh, thank you for all of, all of your support. Um, each of you have blessed uh, our life, my life, and my wife's life. Um, all the progress that we have had in these last four years wouldn't be possible uh, for me without the help of my beautiful wife and without the help of each of you. Um, if you have not come to our house to have lunch, dinner, uh, you will soon. And if not, we're going to go to your house and, and just at 1 p.m. knock the door and just ask for food. Um, so, well, today we're going to go to Second John. We've been uh, in Hebrews for a long time. We're going to be drifting today from Hebrews a little with a good destination to Second John. We're going to let Abraham rest in peace and, and talk about other topics. Um, so this is a excellent book, spectacular for our world, so appropriate. Um, I don't know if this has happened to you, but whenever um, you're watching, for example, a, a TV, and then they said a new, new movie is coming. When you're watching this trailer, you, you think like, whoa, that's awesome. And then you see the name of the movie and says number two. And you think, oh, I haven't seen number one. I want to see number one so that I can understand number two. Today we're going second John, and we're going to have to go a little to first John so that you understand better. And imagine that when you buy the DVD of the number one movie, you find an extra information about the author, about the filmmaker. If you watch all that material, when you watch number two, you get a lot of more information. Second John is a letter that is pregnant with meaning. Every word has been intentionally selected by John, guided through the Holy Spirit, to teach us uh, what he wants to point out. That Christians love one another based on the truth they know by abiding in Christ. The sermon title is, True Love is Loving in Truth. And it's going to be very, very important that we pay attention to each small world, each small, small word in this uh, short book that has only 13 verses. But let's pray before so that we can um, give this sign to the Lord. Loving Father, today we approach your throne of grace and truth. Grateful for the opportunity to continue learning from your word. I beg you to guide me despite my limitations and that your word of truth be an instrument to know you better. Um, together we give you the glory that you deserve. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So perhaps you have here this um, illustration that atheists and, um, and also relativist people will use to support the idea that, per, that a person has the right to have their own truth. In a conversation about truth and if truth can be um, 
if truth can be defined by one person or another, or if truth is only one, they will not have strong arguments, so they will point out to sneaky or tricky illustrations. One of those that it's very, has been very used in the, long, in the last times, the last years, it's one that says like this. Let's say that in a room, they place an elephant in the middle and three men who were born blind. Then they say to the men, we're gonna put you each of one extreme and ask you to touch the elephant for the first time in your life and you will tell us how is an elephant, how it looks like. So the first man touches his trunk, approaches to the elephant for the first time and touches his trunk and says, the elephant has two holes and is as long as a snake. That's his vision of an elephant. The second man touches the elephant's ears and says, the elephant is thin and soft like a stingray. The third man approach uh, the legs and says, the elephant is like a, like a cylinder, uh, something hard and strong like a trunk of a tree. The relevists like to use these kind of illustrations to defend three main points. The truth is based on perspective. So you have your truth, I have my truth. I'm happy that, that truth works for you, that doesn't work for me. They define that way truth. They also say that truth can, be, can have different forms. And they also said that the fact that someone does not believe the same as you does not make their belief false. Now in this modern world, this can sound compassionate, tolerant, open-minded, but all this is an excuse to refuse the truth. Why do you think if we continue, continuing with this illustration, we bring and we invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come to this room. And he sees the three men blind, born blind, and he heals them. Now they have eyes and they can see and they realize my perspective was wrong. Truth is only one. An elephant is not like anything else is like an elephant. An elephant is only an elephant. These men will realize that what they believed before seen clearly was a lie. The truth is only one. And the lie, no matter how convincing, how convenient it might seem, will always be a lie. But why, this, why does this relativistic world love this kind of illustration that casts doubt on the certainty and absolutism of truth? Why is that? This world is dominated by the one who is the father of lies. That's what John chapter, chapter 8, verse 44 says. And the reason the world rejects the truth is because they love their sin. The truth of the gospel tells them that their sin is bad and that they need to repent. But the modern world tells them that they are okay, that enjoying sinful life and sinful pleasures, it's okay. You stop thinking about religious thoughts. Just enjoy your life. You're a human. You can do it. John 8, 44 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The only one reason why we lie 
or create a system or create an ideology so that we can match in that ideology, it's our own convenience. When these people create these systems and these philosophies is to adapt their sinful behavior into this philosophy. We normally lie when, we, when telling the truth is not convenient. You can see in the child, the child lies to avoid punishment. The adolescent lies in order to obtain permission from his parents. The adults lie to be able to do what we want to do and know what God or others, or others ask us to do. Every time we lie, we do it from the most selfish corner of, of our heart with the purpose of obtaining what we want and despising the God of truth. Lying is an act of selfishness. Walking in truth is an act of self-sacrifice. So today we approach to the second letter of John, the colored apostle of love, and interestingly, we are going to find that there are two words that are repeated many times in this book. You know which ones are those? Love and truth. Truth, it's repeated five times only in 2 John. And truth is repeated 20 times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Love is repeated four times in this short letter of 2nd John. And love is repeated more than 50 times in the three letters. This must be something really important. This word repeats a lot. We're taking these courses on how to study the text. And when a word repeats again and again, it means that there is something that we need to pay attention. This does not mean the fact that love repeats more than truth. This does not mean that love, we need to love more and let's put true aside. This doesn't mean that. This means that true love is loving, is loving in, in truth. Truly, uh, to love truly, we need to love the truth. But why is this important that we talk about truth? The truth is under attack in our times. It's under attack. Every time you leave your home, or maybe sometimes when, just when you turn on the TV or when you go to the phone, you're receiving lies from the world. The world likes to, wants to conquer your mind. And the truth was also under attack in the time when John wrote this letter. The lie of our time is called relativism. The lie that attacked the church to which the Apostle John writes was called Gnosticism. Both modern relativism and ancient Gnosticism disguise themselves as intellectual movements. They pretend to be intellectual thinkers. They think deeply, so that's how they get their great conclusions. Both movements have the same intention. Both the relativist and the Gnostic will affirm without any problem, go and enjoy your life of the pleasures of this world. We are humans, and it is time to leave old and religious thoughts. But what is Gnosticism? We, we saw a little before. Uh, when we were talking about 1st John and 2nd John, 1st uh, John, uh, for some of the uh, sermons a few months ago. Um, I would like to point out to something that Pastor John MacArthur says, and we are not going to go entirely to describe every aspect of Gnosticism, okay, because it has different tendencies and different ages and different evolutions. Um, 
but we are going to see the, the points of Gnosticism that are important to understand the letter of John. So John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur explained it, explained it in this way. Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis, where we get the word knowledge or know, was a combination of various pagan, Jewish, and quasi-Christian systems of thought, influenced by the Greek philosophy, especially that of Plato. Gnosticism taught that the physical body was inherently evil and the spirit was good. That philosophical dualism, that philosophical dualism led the false teachers whom John confronted to accept some form of Christ's deity, but to deny his humanity. He could not, according to them, according to their philosophy, Jesus couldn't have had a physical body, since the physical is evil. The Gnostic philosophical dualism also caused them to be indifferent to moral values and ethical behavior. This is a key point for what, joy, for what John is going to attack. They will say, because the physical is evil and the spiritual is good, then you can do whatever you want with your physical. Okay? Or they might say, maybe you have to try to live morally, but it's understandable if you live immorally. To them, the body was merely the prison of the spirit. Therefore, sin committed in the body had no connection or effect to the spirit. End of the quote. So those were the beliefs of these intellectuals. This person who, bear, were, uh, who boasted of knowing more than others. John, John is going to write his letter to warn the churches about these heresies. And he is intentionally going to use the word know more than 40 times in these three letters. In this way, John seems to say, you say that you know all about God. Let me show you how someone who really knows God and the truth behaves. So the, the, this philosophy was called Gnosticism, coming from the verb know. Okay, they were saying, we know better, we know a lot. And John is going to use 40 times the word know and tells you, hey, this is how you know that someone is knowing God. Okay, so there were several things of Gnosticism that went against biblical truth, but the most worrying for John were three aspects. First, they deny the incarnation of Christ. Second, they excuse themselves in this philosophy to commit immoral acts since the body is bad, but the spirit will continue being good. And third, they deny the possibility that there a relationship between humans could be a relationship of mutual love and sacrifice since all humans are flesh and physical. Therefore, they were evil. So John is going to write First John to attack these three points. And he will say, okay, you deny first the incarnation of Christ. First John 4, 1, 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Second, they will say that they can excuse themselves to live sinfully because they are in flesh. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5, he said, And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word from him, in him the love of God is truly perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The third point, they will say also, they deny the possibility of humans having a, a sacrificial relationship in love since humans are flesh and we can only live for what is convenient for us. John will respond in 1 John 4, 7 and will say, Beloved, let us love one another, and one another, for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So John is being very clear in what he wants to clarify for these people. He wants to protect the church of these lies. Gnostics believe this lie for the same reason that relativists believe their lie, convenience. They attack the truth because they follow the father of lies and did not love the truth. Because to truly love the truth, you must love God. You cannot say, I love the truth, I want to pursue the truth, and not end up following God and loving God. Because God the Father is truth. Psalm 31 verse, six, verse 5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Jesus is truth. John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit is truth. John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. God's Word is truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for us in John 17, 17, says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. So John sees the congregation and rise to prevent them from falling into this lie and leave the sound doctrine. So having this little context, we can now go to the letter of John. And in this letter, he will introduce himself as the elder. So let's see who is writing this letter. I know a lot of you know by now, I mean, we have been talking about the Bible for many years. We have an idea who is John, but it's going to be really good to go deep in his life to understand also this book. So we saw the first movie. Now we're going to see information about the author. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. 
Our first point to, to, to go through all this sermon is going to be aging in truth. Then we will go to our second point, abiding in truth. Third point, persevere in truth. And we will end up with the fourth point, protect the truth. So aging in truth. This is the old man, John. He's now probably 90, 96. They're close. Uh, I can see someone from 90, 96 years old. No, no here. Okay. So today we see this old man called the disciple of love. But John was not always like that. John was this man who at the beginning of his discipleship, his beginning of his relationship with Jesus Christ, will said with his brother James to the Lord in Luke 9, 54. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven as Elijah did and consume them? Look at the apostle of love when he was young. It's a young guys, young men, as I also include myself there. Let's be careful with our words. John also asked the Lord in one occasion, Grant us that in your glory we may sit, one on your right hand and the other at your left. Mark 10, 37. So John was a self-loving young man. He was probably in his early 20s. He was challenging and irreverent. He had more self-love than desire to serve others, like many of us when we were young. But the great blessing for John was that the Lord Jesus Christ will disciple him. So the Lord will disciple him and he will say, as he testified in John 15, 4, 5, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John learned this and much more from the Lord and became part of a group that was very, very close to the Lord. The Lord has 12 disciples, apostles, but there were three that were especially close to the Lord. This was Peter, James, and John. They were with the Lord in a very particular moments, such as healing of Hyros' daughter. You say in English, Jairus. Her name was Hyros. In Spanish, it's Hyros. So I, I think he was Hispanic. Okay. Then he was in the transfiguration also. Okay. Then they were in the Mount of Gethsemane, where they were this selected group of discipleships that fell asleep. You, you see from this moment that it has never been for your merits. It has never been for, for your own behave. John was sleeping while he was necessary to be with the Lord. John has an special approach when he was the only apostle who stood by Jesus' side while he suffered in the cross. And John will be also the man who the Lord entrusted him with the care of his mother. And John received her in her house, in his house. So Jesus truly loved John. Jesus taught John in love and in truth. 
And today we see the fruit. We see the fruit of all the teaching and many other years of John abiding with, this, with Christ. That son of thunder who wanted to have a seat in the right of the Lord, now the only thing that he asks is children love one another. The son of thunder, all men now stands up to proclaim the truth and to defend the truth. And he uses maybe that son of thunder that he has now, but to defend the truth, not to gain, not to gain favor. He has this personality and he said, I'm going to wake up the son of thunder, but to defend the truth, not to gain things for me. So this is the mature man that we met today. John, who now writes three letters in which basically he will tell us. And the first one, if someone knows the Lord, in truth, he must live in the truth. In the second letter, he will say, if someone who proclaims another message wants to come to you, do not allow those ideologies to enter into the family of God, but persevere in the sound doctrine. And in the third letter, he will say, if you love this truth, then, and if you love this truth and embrace the doctrine, then you can truly love and practice Christian hospitality. So the Apostle John wrote this letter when he was 90, 96, as we were saying earlier. And this historian, Jerome, or Jerónimo, I don't know how you will say it in, in English, or we say Jerónimo in Spanish, he, he said that John was so old that he couldn't, he, needed, he couldn't even go to church. He needed his disciples to carry him, to take him from church to church. People were expecting for him. He was the most important conferencist in that time. The last apostle, the man who walked with Christ, is coming today to Metro Bible Church. And they were expecting for him. And John will come very old, and they will bring him to the pulpit, and they were expecting a sermon, and they will say, like, preach for two hours, Apostle John. And he will say, kids, children, love one another. And he will leave. <laughs> and he will make that his conference for very, a lot of churches. And he will preach in the same sermon, children, love one another. So there was one young guy, I will assume, that came to John and said, why are you always preaching the same thing? Children, love one another. Such a short sermon. And he said, you only will do that. That will be all. That is the first commandment. That is the commandment that, the, the, that Christ gave me. Love one another. So we found this, this man, and it's hard Maybe for you to imagine seeing this very young person here, but I want you to imagine this is a 90 years old man who walked with Christ, was persecuted, was almost killed, has been persevering in the truth, and he's coming to you through this letter and tells you, children, love one another. So let's continue. The elder to the lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abide in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us 
from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So the question that comes immediately is, who is this lady? Who is he writing to? I want to tell you different positions. Some people believe that it refers to a local church since some of the verbs are in plural form. However, we do not see another verse where the church is called lady. Now, if you only read your Bible in English, you may not find the plural form because, of plural, because the Bible doesn't say you all. Okay? It just say you. Okay? But if you read in Spanish, in the original language, you will find out that it says vosotros, o ustedes. What it means? You all. It means a plural version of the letter. So that's why people assume and think he is writing actually to a church. Other people suggest that this lady is Mary, Martha's sister. This theory has credibility among many considering the verse 13. What it says? The children of your elect sister greet you. But also this elect sister can be the church from where John is writing. Okay? Other says that this was a faithful lady that had some good money and loved to host missionaries and preachers. I will even give her house to the people to meet in her house. Okay? So this lady was hosting all the preachers that come, and then she will find out one of those preachers will say something like, yeah, we know that Christ didn't come in flesh. And he will be like, well, she will be like, I don't know if I agree with this. Let me write to John. So she will write to John, and this will be the answer from John. So we cannot be certain of any of these cases. Those are very interesting uh, propositions. We can consider them. But that doesn't affect the message of the letter. Whether you agree on one or other, doesn't affect the message of the letter. What we understand is that whoever she is, she is the one who has offered her home for the church to meet, or is the actual local church. So this leads us to our second point, abiding in truth. Verse 2 says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. In truth and love, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you shall walk in it. So John knew clearly the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of God's love for his saints. In fact, he says in John 4, 15, 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, 
and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So after a lifetime of service to God, the Apostle John is witness to the persevering love of God the Father, to the work of the Son and the support of the Holy Spirit through all his life. And he points out that this support from God for his life has been in grace, in mercy, in truth, and in love. Grace to give him what he does not deserve. Mercy to save him for what he deserves. Truth to honor God without hypocrisy. And love to abide in a close relationship with his Savior. This love that John speaks is a love based on truth and on the person of God. That is, that is real truth. The, that is real love. The love that this world proclaims is not based on truth. What this world describes as tolerance or love rather, it is, is rather self-centeredness, corruption, or wildness. Brothers and sisters, let's not be fooled by the kind of love that the world proclaims. True love must be based on the truth and the person of God, and not in modern philosophies. Telling the truth, loving the truth, living in the truth might not always seem easy or the most convenient thing, but will be what must glorify God. In the verse 4, you are also as a good father and a lovely father will not only write to exhort and warn, but he will also celebrate the growth of his little children walking in the truth. And this walking in, in the original, this time the Greek, uh, it, it means a persevering, a constantly abiding, a living in one, in something. And that something is in the truth. So he's saying, I am rejoicing that I see your children living the gospel, living the truth, and enjoying this way and abiding in the truth. So he's celebrating the growth of these little children, the, growth, the spiritual growth of these little children. Loving people in Christ is not only correct them so that they can be like him, but also celebrate their growth with them in a close and joyful fellowship. Verse 5, John says that, And now I ask you, dear lady. Another version says, I plead you. This means I implore you, I beg you. And he continues saying, love one another. But how do we love one another, John? Verse 6. And this is the love, that we walk according to his commandments. Now, do you remember who said something really, really similar to that? It was our Lord Jesus Christ. We can read that in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 14, 21. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will love my father. And I will love him and will reveal my, myself to him. 
So we will see later that we will talk a little about the reward that John promises. And we will see that the Lord has prepared a reward for whenever we, we die and we go in front of him for us to honor the, the, the love that we have for him. But also there is a reward in him. He's saying, I will reveal myself to him. What Jesus is saying, if you look at me, if you grow in a relationship with me, if you look to know me more, your reward is going to be that I will reveal myself to you more and more. But we have to be very careful to understand these verses. Sometimes we understand, if I obey, then I will love. He's not saying, to love me, you must obey. It is saying, if you love me, you will obey. So obedience is not the root of the relationship. Obedience is the fruit of the relationship. The more you abide in Christ, the easier and the more joyful you're going to live your Christian life. What John is saying is, I want you to love the truth. Grow in truth. Celebrate those who love the truth. And that truth is in God, in Christ, in the Spirit, in His Word. Grow in that fellowship in Christ, in His doctrine of truth. And you will obey the commandments. But if you allow yourself to follow the falsehood and the false teachings of this world, the philosophies of this world, then sin will lead you to live in the lies of this world. Careful with what you are hearing. Careful with what you are listening to. What you are believing. What you are paying attention. What you are imitating. With this warning, we come to our third point. Persevering in the truth. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in flesh. In flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but many will win a reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching, or the version says, in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So this is very important. What John is saying is you need to abide in good doctrine, in good teaching, in the truth. Who are you believing? The one who is telling you the truth or the world that does not make any effort to teach you the truth, but is cooler, but is fancier, but looks more hospitable, but it can look more lovely and tolerant. We live in a world where a pastor can preach faithfully for 50 years, but a malicious social media journalist can write an accusing, an accusing comment and have more credibility than a faithful preacher. A pastor can teach sound doctrine in an almost empty auditorium, but a false teacher with good musicians can captivate many more people. This generation is easy to captivate. But brothers, although these are examples that are extreme, 
We cannot think that we are free to fall into some of the lies that this world is offering us. Watch yourself, says John, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may, but may win this full reward. So which is this reward? As I pointed before, Christ is saying, if you know me better, if you, if you by loving me better, you obey better, then I will reveal more of myself. That is one reward. But there is also Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 10 says, Therefore we also have our, our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. So, Metro Bible Church, if we persevere in the sound doctrine and keep abiding in the Lord in close re relationship with him and rejecting the doctrines of the world, then we will live in obedience and joyfully we will wait for his return and even for his judgment because we will love that meeting with the Lord. But if we allow ourselves to be attached by false humanistic teachings which exalt men before God, then we will begin to drift from the truth and embrace the lies of this world. Let us not be one of those who stray from the truth, but rather those who persevere in the truth. So let's go to our fourth point, and then we will finish with some of the last words of John. Fourth point, protect the truth. Verse 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Wicked works. First, let's see what he is not saying. He's not saying that we shall not talk to people that are not Christians, or that are not Baptists, or that are not Reformed, fine point Calvinist. Okay, he's not saying that. He said, you can, you can develop friendship with people that not believe what you believe. But what he's saying to this lady is, do not give your house to false teachers. Do not associate yourself with false teachers. Let's remember that these people, these preachers in these times, they were traveling from one to other place preaching. Good preachers and bad preachers, they were doing the same thing. They were traveling from city to city, and while they were preaching, they were looking for someone that can host them. And he will, they will say, like, could you send a letter so where I go, they can host me? There were no hotels, there was no Marriott, there was no places like that, so they will ask a recommendation. And this lady was willing to host them, but John is teaching her you, do not, you don't, don't need to associate with false teachers. Anyone who, who works together with them, it's considered as he is doing the same thing. 
is considered as he is supporting the same thing. In fact, uh, we see in 3 John, that John is asking for someone from, from someone else, Gaius, I think, um, to host another brother because he is a faithful preacher. And he even said, because he works for the truth. Those are the people we want to associate. Those are the people we want to help. Those are the people we want to serve. But not the false teachers. So why is John doing this? He's saying, I want you to protect the truth. I don't want them to come into your house where you put together the church and having these men that maybe are great teachers, but they are teaching wrong, but they are teaching heresy. I don't want them in the house. I don't want them in the church. Sound doctrine and faithful preaching of the word of God is not a religious cliche or a secondary issue when choosing a church. Sound doctrine and faithful preaching of the word is an essential foundation, foundation of the life of the church. It's an essential foundation of the life of the church. To lower the message is to dishonor the God of the message. Christ is love and Christ is truth. To despise the truth of the word is to despise the one who gave his, gave his life for you. Brothers and sisters, you need to pray for your pastors, for your elders, for anyone who stand up here and preach, or for anyone who is in the way to preach, so that we pass the temptation and we walk in victory, to don't sell the message, to don't load the message, but to preach faithfully. Christ is love and Christ is truth. To despise the truth of the word is to despise the one who gave his life for you. Take care of yourself. Those are the words of John. So that you do not despise the word of God when it does not conform to what the world has taught you or is trying to teach you. So let's finish with the last words of John. Verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I will rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to see you in the next Zoom meeting. Is that what it says? No. Absolutely not. It is incredible. I was saying how appropriate this letter is for our times. He says, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy might be, might be complete. So the apostle of love, who wrote many times that we need to love each other, makes it clear that there is no love without personal relationship. There is no love when, when there, where there is no closeness. You cannot know someone if you do not abide with that person. That same apostle who said that is the one who tells us, I want to see your face so that our joy can be completed. There is no way we can grow alone. We need to see ourselves face to face. If John needed to see his brothers face to face to, be, to his joy to be completed, you need to come to church. 
You need to see us face to face. You need to grow in relationship with the people of God. So as application, brothers, what can we, how can we apply what we have learned today from this second John? First, abide in Christ. Make Christ your closest relationship by looking for him in his word and don't let the day go by without meditating in his word. Second, embrace the truth. Remove every stain of hypocrisy from your life. Do not allow sin to consume your life and deceive you into thinking that you can live for sin and for Christ at the same time. Remove that. Third, love your brothers and sisters. Be intentional in developing closer relationships where you both can see yourself face to face and exhort and grow and celebrate the growth that you both have in Christ. And finally, protect the truth and persevere in truth. Know the truth. But remember that word. Know the truth. It's really important. Really know the truth. Do you know your Bible? Do you know the truth? Do you know how to explain the Bible to someone? Do you know your Lord close in intimacy, in a close relationship with Christ? Love that truth. Protect that truth. Those, and teach that truth to everyone that comes to your life. And protect them from the relativism of this world. Teach them. Love them. Age in truth. Abide in truth. Persevere in truth. And protect the truth.